0: Well, hey, Kairos, my name is Haley Shepherds, and I'm so excited to be with you this evening. I'm the pastoral intern here at Kairos. Uh, So Danny is normally preaching, but I'm really excited to be with you today Uh, and to have this talk and to dive into our second week of this series, Jesus Went. And if you were here for worship, and when you were, and if you're here in Iowa City worshiping with us, uh, worship here was just awesome this evening. Let's give God praise for our band. It was almost as intense as that video. Uh, That was just amazing. But we are in this second series, the second week of this series called Jesus Went. And Jesus is going to these really intense places, almost as intense as that battle scene we saw there um, for our Star Wars scene. And that's Kylo Ren and Rey. If there's any Star Wars fans, are you here? Is there only me? We've got a couple. There we go. we got some Star Wars fans. That's exciting. That was my quarantine Uh, mission was to finish all the Star Wars movies and I did it. So hopefully many of you had marathons. But they are having this epic battle, good versus evil, on this giant cruise, or this giant spacecraft that's now in the ocean. And so this place of desolation and destruction, and good is facing evil. And it's intense. And we see Jesus go to these places that are even more intense than that. And so Jesus goes in our Bible reading today in Matthew 4 into this place called the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, uh, for me, looks a lot different than that battle scene. Wilderness, to me, is maybe a campsite that has trees, uh, maybe a river. That's what I'm used to when it comes to the wilderness. And you can see that on our next slide here. Wilderness, to me, looks a lot like that. It looks nice, it looks pretty, and it looks safe. But Jesus goes into this place that's nothing like that. We have seen this next screen what Jesus' wilderness actually looks like. The wilderness is a place of desolation and that's what the word wilderness means. It's a desert, it's a place that oftentimes um, has no people, a place of solitude, but it's also this crazy place where we get to experience God. And so it's this place where we richly get to see God's presence. And we see that in our Bible reading uh, right before. It's a place where this limitless Lord shows up in this crazy desolate place and in the difficult parts of our lives. We experience wilderness not just externally this year, but I want us to think about wilderness as a place that maybe we experience internally and looks a lot like that. But before we get to our passage, we wanna ask ourselves, you know, why does Jesus go to this place? Why does Jesus go into the wilderness? And so we have to start in Matthew three before we even get to Matthew four. Jesus goes into the wilderness Right here, after his baptism and Jesus came up out of the water and the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So Jesus goes into this wilderness place to be baptized. It seems even more epic than that battle scene we saw. God's presence descends on Jesus and we know that God is with him. But what surprises us is that this isolated place actually has divine intervention. And what happens following this passage we see in our next verse. That same spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. We're now in a new epic battle scene, just like Star Wars. One where good is gonna face off with evil. But do you know difficulty? Do you know that life has brought you challenges and what those challenges are? What happens when you're in a place of that wilderness? You may know for yourself, but we're going to see how Jesus responds when he ends up in this place to be tempted. But why does Jesus go? He has something to show us. So Jesus starts his ministry with this story. Jesus had to have seen some kind of value in telling us this. He's the only one that experienced it, and he relayed this story on to his disciples. Temptation is a word that oftentimes gets misused and misrepresented. It's not just the devil creeping at your door. Sometimes we can also be tempted to do good for the wrong reasons. Temptation here in the Greek actually is better translated to test. Test. So why does Jesus go to be tested? It's God's spirit who leads him here. But this isn't the only time we're going to see that Jesus gets tested. So we know this isn't just a one-time thing. This is going to happen over and over and over again because that is what the wilderness is all about. And so we see in Matthew 16, one day the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders... They came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign to prove his authority. It's not just evil that tests Jesus. It's God's people too. It's God's creation. So it's not just the good that tests, it's also the bad. And we can take God's good creation and turn it into something it's not. And that's, what, that's the history behind this story. Jesus' mission to go into the wilderness... This has actually already happened to God's people. We see in um, this diagram here shows us the story of that. See, God's people back in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, were called the Israelites, and they were in a wilderness called slavery. And God called them through his servant Moses to and through the Red Sea away from the Egyptians, only for them to be saved. And then God took them into the wilderness again. That is the same parallel story we see today in Matthew 4. So why is Jesus doing this? Because we did something wrong. God's people didn't finish the test, or they just got the wrong answers. So Jesus is back to make things right. And so we see this wilderness journey that God's people failed the test. Immediately when they entered into the wilderness, they started taking false gods. They started worshiping idols. They couldn't remember who God was or what God had done for them. They relied on themselves. In Exodus 20, verse 20, we see, don't be afraid, God says. And Moses answered them, for God has come this way to test you. The only thing God asks of them is to trust them, trust God, and they can't do that. And so the truth is we ask people in our lives to prove that we can trust them all the time, this test—we see this definition here. It's no longer temptation, but it's a test that reveals truth, and that's what we see in this story where God's people failed. And now Jesus is set on a mission to be that truth, the right answer. I have a little sister; uh, she's not here today. We can—I can wave to her online. Uh, she's at home. Uh, But she always, as we were kids, would ask me when we were young, you know, I would say, Hey, Sam, I bet I can go make a basket in that hoop. And she would say, Prove it. I would ask her, you know, Hey, Sam, I bet I could, you know, jump over that, you know, block, whatever was in the way. And she would say, Prove it. I would ask her, Sam, I bet I got the right answer. She would say, Well, I have the right answer. Prove yours is right. And we do that same thing with the people in our lives. We ask them to prove that we can trust them. Why do we ask people, can I see your phone? It's wondering, can I trust you? When we ask people, you know, are you busy? It usually means, you know, I'm trying to procrastinate and I'm expecting you to also procrastinate. Can I trust you to come and join me? We ask people, are you mad? That's the worst question ever. Are you mad? Of course I'm mad. We're testing somebody. Or someone comes up to you, your friend says, do I look like I've been working out, you know? Yes, you look like you've been working out. We're always just trying to test the people in our lives to see if we can trust them. How about the friend that says, hey, can I come with you? We all know that that's not a question. They're coming with. But these tests are oftentimes done, not for the good of the people in our lives, but it's a test to help us deal with some insecurity, some worry, some distrust. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes to rewrite this. Jesus' identity in this story is the foundation on which evil tests. Evil will come into this space in this wilderness with Jesus and try to break that trust between Jesus and the Father. And in this moment, Jesus' character will be revealed. The Israelites, God's people, they proved their character wasn't worth trusting. But Jesus is coming to rewrite this narrative. God's people continued to fail the test of obedience, and Jesus is about to experience the exact same test. We see in Deuteronomy 8, remember how the Lord... Your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years, humbling you, testing you to prove your character and to find out whether you would obey his commands. We see also that Jesus has the same length, 40 days and 40 nights. It's a little bit different, 40 years, but we see it reflected in the timeline that Jesus is coming to right a new wrong. And Jesus became very hungry Now, God's people were fed manna on this journey, and Jesus is saying, no, I'm gonna go 40 days without any food or water. Talk about a test. Now, Jesus maybe have gone four days, 40 days without food or water, but I, being a high school athlete, spent four years running track. And so I think I can have a test. I I know what this test is like because of my experience facing hurdles Jesus is about to face. Now, I ran this event and track called the 400-meter hurdles. If you've ever run this race, I am so sorry for you. You want to talk about a wilderness experience? Talk about 10 of those, and you have to run an entire lap of that track. It's miserable. You make it over one, and you think, I got nine more to go? By the last one, you're hitting this. No matter who you are, you better be hitting this. It's a wilderness journey, and there's hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And Jesus is going into this journey saying, I don't even need food. I don't even need water. And I'm going to blast through these hurdles. You've hit every single one, people of God. I've come here to be in the wilderness and to go against all of these tests. And we see these tests that Jesus faced. Jesus is approaching the first hurdle when we read in Matthew 3. That during the time that he was in the wilderness, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Here's Jesus' first hurdle. This representative of evil, this, this devil character, is not an official term, it's more of a title. It means adversary or opponent. The devil's coming in as the tester, and Jesus is becoming tested. We see this voice of evil. Have you ever heard a voice of evil in your head? Have you ever heard those thoughts that drive you away from the people you love, drive you away from the things that you love to do? The tester here is purpose is to undermine Jesus' identity, pointing out the circumstances that Jesus is going to have to face and taunting, saying, you can't make it. Now the devil is trying to distract Jesus, saying, look at where you are. Why would a loving God send you to this place to face these hurdles? If you are really beloved like God said you were in your baptism, that you are the object of your Father's love. What are you doing starving? It's the tempter's opportunity and goal to put these hurdles in our path and to lead us to Fear. We read in in Proverbs 29, 25 that the fear of man will prove to be a snare for whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. This first hurdle, it's a test of trust. It's the same test that the Israelites also went through. The tester tries to undermine the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and asks Jesus, why don't you do something about it? You know, why don't you make bread from these stones if you're so hungry? Take your own power. You can't trust in God. But Jesus proves to be trustworthy. Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, some people will take that scripture and say, you know, we as the people of God, we don't even need bread. We just can live on God's word. No, you need bread to survive. Please eat. You need water to survive. Please drink water. But Jesus is challenging us to see that's not the only thing we need. You don't just need bread, you need something else. You can exist as a human and survive. You can be physically satisfied, but as human beings there's this whole complex reality that we need more than just survival. We need purpose, we need direction. What's the track we're on? What's the significance of running? Do we belong to something? There's that deep part of us that wants that community and relationships. And that's been stripped away from us this year. And look at how much havoc it's caused. It's true to our experience. When we are denied those things, life starts to look like wilderness. We don't need to just survive on bread alone, but we need to look to God's word in those times and places of wilderness, tests, and hurdles. We don't just need to survive, we need spiritual safety. And God says, that comes from me. I am that substance of spiritual safety, a place of calm in the midst of a storm, a place of peace. Jesus passed over the hurdle of trust and continues to go on. We read in the next verse here in Matthew 4, verses five through six. Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem to the highest point on the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. What we can see in this story is maybe this hurdle. But it also shows where evil stops. There's a place where the devil had limitations. He could not go any higher. There's a point that evil could not take another step. This is a test of God's power. Evil knows who Jesus is. Evil didn't even question it. But we see that just because evil has access to this world doesn't mean that evil has agency. God's power is greater. And so this is a technique that evil uses, even for the voices of evil that we experience on a daily basis. It takes the word of God and it twists it. The devil here is quoting Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, it's actually scripture about a place of refuge, The devil is saying, God's going to catch you. And Jesus is saying, that psalm is about prayer. I can seek refuge for God from this wilderness in prayer. It's not about physical safety. It's about spiritual safety. So when we are in these wilderness experiences, go to God in prayer. But this is the technique. God's word is twisted in the face of evil. Lord says, I will rescue those who believe in me I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer, and I will be with them in trouble. God promises to not only answer, but to show up. Why? Because Jesus went first. Jesus went first through the wilderness and over this hurdle so that we could follow. God promises to be with us, to deliver us, not from every physical danger, Jesus was tempted again after this. Jesus was tested again after this. We're going to face many more tests in our life, but we don't have to do it alone because Christ went first. And Jesus doesn't take this bait. He doesn't jump. Instead, Jesus responds to the devil. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. It's an incredible counter move from Jesus. You can just see the lightsaber just right through. We try to test God, even sometimes unknowingly. Have you ever told God and put God to the test by saying, God, if you really love me, wouldn't you just take this pain away? Why, would, why do I have to go through this? We take these experiences that we face and the hardships that we experience and use it against God sometimes to, think, to tell ourselves and to convince ourselves that God's abandoned us. God says, no, we're going to get through that first hurdle together. We're going to get through the second one. You can call upon my name and I will be with you. I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason. I don't think God wants evil in your life. I don't think God wants evil things to happen to you. But I do believe that God can bless and bring um, glory and can bring hope to even the most desolate wilderness places. We can cling to God's promises in the midst of that. But we see here that Jesus trusts God. It's a test he didn't fail. We don't need to ask God ourselves to prove God's love for us. Because Jesus Christ is that example. It moves from a test of proof now to a test of power. We see what the devil does next. He took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said if you will kneel down and worship me. This last test here is about power. The tester even changes his approach to Jesus. Evil is really good at taking good things and dressing them up as bad. I know sometimes we even say, you know, lying really isn't that hurtful. It doesn't really harm anyone, right? Or maybe it's okay to get jealous because it's our motivation, right? We want something, we want to achieve something. No, God doesn't want a life of jealousy for you. But if, if, if I don't feel shame, then nothing will change. No, God does not want you to experience shame. God wants to initiate change in your life through love. It's way better than this place of shame that taunts you and dehumanizes you. That's not what God wants for you. And evil is trying to appeal to Jesus' destiny here in this moment. The devil knows that Jesus is gonna to come to a place of power, but is offering another way to get there, one that's not better. Evil can't offer us a better way. Only God can. And sometimes in this crazy Christian faith, it kind of flips the society's morals and ideals upside down. And it maybe even affects your relationships. It may try to teach you that being in the society ways of, ways of being human is the best. You know, God can't be trusted. You need to look out for yourself because no one else will. Ask God to help you turn down the voices that tell you loving others isn't the right way. Turn down the voice of, on evil that says, are you really a son and daughter of the king? Look at your life. Look at the decisions that you have constantly made. Do you honestly tell me that God loves you when God looks within your life and sees what you've done? evil will twist those words and try to tell you that your identity isn't in God. you got to look for it somewhere else. The story is warning us. Jesus went through this temptation to warn us that this is going to happen, but there's a way that we can win. And it's because Christ goes before us and wins this battle. What happens when this voice of evil enters our minds and our hearts? We read this in our next verse here. Satan calls us to get out. Or Satan, excuse me, is tempting Jesus and is being that voice, and Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The words of Jesus immediately silence evil. We can tell those voices that we experience to get out because we believe in Jesus Christ. Sometimes those voices in our head, they have so much power over us, the anxiety, the depression, uh, the the OCD, the the body dysmorphia that we experience—the list is endless. And we can tell those voices to get out, not because of anything we've done, but because Christ plows through that hurdle, hits it so hard it's off the track, and promises to never let us go over one alone. That voice dies, and it may come back, but you have another way to take it down, and it's through the power of God. The voice and reality of evil does not define who you are as a human being. You are made in God's image. Your value is in God's love for you, not how many hurdles you can take down on your own. God's love is infinite, unbreakable, unchanging, and that is your value. And don't ever let any other voice in your head tell you otherwise. The voice of evil will try to degrade Jesus' love for you and tell you it's insignificant, it's not enough. And it is, it's so much more powerful. Jesus came into this world not to be served. We read in the book of Mark but to serve his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus can look and say, I will never serve you, devil, because I have come to serve God's people by going into the wilderness, by doing what they could not do. What happens? The devil went away. There is power in the name of Jesus. I challenge you to just say Jesus' name when those voices start to become so loud, you can't take it anymore. There is power in the name of Jesus. That is the good news. There is one human being who passed the test. evil cannot compromise who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Jesus is loyal to the Father when we cannot be loyal. He came to be a different human being who could pass the test when we would fail. Jesus' mission to bring a new way of being human into the world, it succeeded. This love looks different because of Christ. It's a love that is not selfish, but self-giving. It's not a love that that cares just for ourselves. It's a love that cares for the abandoned, the lost, the hopeless, our friends. It's a love that gives us victory over our enemies even when they're in our heads. We win over the enemies in this world and maybe people who have hurt us by forgiving them. That is the new way of being human. Yes, evil will still exist. And yes, look at the news, look at your life. We experience pain, we experience hurt, but Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is now this test that has been passed, and now we experience this new truth that the meaning of our human existence and our purpose is now set on a new mission. When Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer, we say the words, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's help we can be delivered but what does this mean for us what does it mean for a follower of Jesus in this wilderness experience that feels a whole lot like 10 hurdles maybe more the difficulties in life God doesn't leave us ill equipped or empty handed when we go in to battle but that battle looks like Star Wars or it looks a little different Have you ever been unprepared for a test? It's the worst feeling in the world, and I'm sure many of you have. I still to this day believe that the SAT and the ACT are pure forms of evil, and I will stand by that claim. I have taken the ACT five times and got the same score five times. So if anyone else is with me, (laughs) I'm so sorry this is what a test that you can maybe think about looks like. But guess what, you walk into a room, you sit down and you're not even a student, you're, you're an ID number. The test of this world tries to convince us that we are just a number, that we're a nobody, that we're insignificant. But God knows you. God created you and comes into this, to this world to be misunderstood so that we could be understood. The test of this world warns you to trust no one. You know, only trust yourself. Survival of the fittest, eat or be eaten. But God breaks through those places and will lead you home. There may be hurdles along the way, but nothing will block God's love. Even in the desolation and the difficulty of life, in the midst of your wilderness, trust in me, God says. Find your value in me. I am the place of safety where you are never alone. When we fall, when we miss our mark, miss the mark with God, when we mess things up, when we've got a lot of answers wrong, when we get selfish or jealous, when we're mean-spirited, it can be easy to just call ourselves a failure and live in that. I know when I'm not prepared for a test and I start walking up to the teacher, we make eye contact. They know I failed. I know I failed and it just isn't good. The devil and evil try to mock you. But just as we are about to turn in our test, that we, we know we've failed, it looks a lot like this. We walk up to turn it in and Jesus gets in line before us and decides to swap papers with us. Here, I'll give you an A. I'll take your F. Jesus turns in the F and says, I failed on, on their behalf. Look at my death. Look at my resurrection. Look at the test I passed. I defeated evil. And I'm going to take this failure. I'm going to give you an A because I love you. I'm going to forgive you because I love you. And I'm just going to leave you to be alone. You know, I'm going to that failure. And we're going to be family. And I will always give you an A. I will always look at you like you're valued and like you're more and that you're special because you are. Jesus gets the final word and you are God's family. Everyone tonight, we get to celebrate that there's no longer an F on your test score. There's an A and it's written in Christ's blood and it makes you family. When the tester says, you failed, Christ says, no. By my blood, you're saved. And the tests and temptations will continue to come. But trust that I have all the right answer, God says. "They are promises for you, promises of forgiveness, purpose, presence, my peace. Don't look anywhere else for your identity, for hope, for purpose, for love. Trust in me. And that's what we get to celebrate tonight, being one family who's forgiven. And we're not failures, that Christ brings us to this place to declare we are family and we are forgiven. So we're gonna stand up, remember that, and worship.